It's really nice to be with all of you. It's felt um, like such a precious day and, and kind of really could feel that each person was taking time to really feel, to be, to find our, um, yeah, a way of being, a way of digesting and what was right for, for each of us. And, uh, and just now seeing everyone here, I just kind of feel this joy of, of seeing all of you. I guess I'm missing those endless circles that we have when we walk. So I wasn't planning to say the title of the talk um, in the beginning, but I am going to say it because uh, seeing Caroline come in with some forest on the back of her jumper um, reminded me of, of the title and um, experience. I, I brushed my hair today, which doesn't happen that often, and I found some uh, pieces of moss and things came out in my, in my hairbrush. So a similar experience. And so the, the title of the talk is A Walk on the Wild Side. And yeah, please keep telling me if you can't hear. Just let me know. And so when, for me, being, being out here, I often um, remember, I'm reminded of this um, phrase that is, is quite... Um, is repeated a lot in the, in the Buddhist suttas. Uh, basically, almost every time that the Buddha gave meditation instructions to the monks and the nuns, um, he would say in there, go to the forest, find the root of a tree or an abandoned hut. And then he would give the instruction of that specific technique. And that real encouragement to go out into nature, to go out into the wildness, the, the wilderness. Even then, you know, even 2,600 years ago, when the world was very different, and I was reflecting on it the last few days, and I thought probably, probably, in the Buddha's time, kind of the areas of the plains of northern India where he was, they were probably quite similar to where we are now. I mean, not such dramatic mountains, but nature was very powerful still. And yet, that encouragement you know, to go, yeah, go into the wilderness, go into the wilderness for practice. And... Some of the texts speak about, um, you know, during the three months rains retreat, that the monks and nuns would go out into the Himalayas, actually go into the mountains themselves to practice for that period of time. So, you know, we're not that original. And yet we're, you know, just that sense of being part of that flow of practitioners. People have been coming to the Himalayas, you know, so long before the Buddha, actually. They're coming to the Himalayas, have been going up into the mountains, both these specific mountains and mountains everywhere, wilderness everywhere in the world, 
to practice, to find silence, to find depth. You know, just now remembering, you know, the first, um, in, in the Christianity, the, the fathers of, the, um, of, of monasticism, actually, they went into the desert to practice. You know, that, that, that need for wilderness, that need for the silence that is available to us here. And it feels, um, from what people have been sharing and speaking about, and yeah, also just looking at people, it feels like we can, we're really at the point of the Yatra, of the retreat, where we, we're getting an experiential sense of why. You know, why have we come here? Why have people been coming here? Here, I mean all wilderness. For so many, so many years, so many generations. So we come here because on the one hand, yeah, on the one hand, what we find through being in nature, through being simple in this way, we find openness, we find connection, we find often a sense of ease or contentment. And we also find vulnerability, sometimes fear challenge, difficulty, you know, we each have different words that we use for this. And these seemingly two polarities or two opposites are not actually separate. <laughs> They're not disconnected. They're very much connected to each other. And I, I hope that I can explore that a little bit today with you. So there's something about the simplicity and the exposure of, of being out in nature, of being out in this, even in the tent, that strips away some of our layers of, um, both layers of protection that we have layers of protection that we have, and layers of filters that we have in the way we see ourselves and we see experience and we see the world. And this both allows things to come up to the surface, allows things to come up to the surface and be seen. And it also allows us, gives us some kind of groundedness or some kind of safety within that which is uncertain that allows us to actually look at our stuff to see the challenges to come closer kind of creates a container and again we're not alone in this experience You know, when people were coming, and still are, you know, coming to the mountains, not everyone comes with a meditation tent and plenty of protective clothing. And yet we're all exposed to the same depth, the same nakedness, we could say. 
one of my favorite stories is the story in the text of how um, or when the Buddha first offered the metta practice, you know, the chant that we do every evening, when he first offered the metta practice. And the story is that during the, the rains retreat, the three months um, of monsoon, the Buddha would send different groups of monks and nuns to go to different areas, stay in a forest somewhere and practice there together. The rest of the year they would wander. There were um, mendicants, they would wander around. And so one group was sent to a forest in the Himalayas somewhere. <coughs> and this forest was um, inhabited by spirits that lived in the trees. And at first, the spirits, you know, saw these people coming to practice and they said, okay, you know, they can hang out in our forest for a day or two. Um, but then they realized that these people were planning to stay and they didn't want to share. Yeah, they didn't want to share their forest. So um, they started to do what spirits do to get rid of people, which is to create bad smells and scary noises and apparitions um, to really, you know, scare them away, make it so unpleasant and fearful that they would go. And so um, they succeeded. And this group left the forest. They said, well, it's impossible to practice here. You know, it's way too scary and smelly and unpleasant. And they went back to the Buddha and they said to him, um, can you send us somewhere else? You know, this particular place is unsuitable because of these spirits. And the Buddha said, there is nowhere else. There is nowhere else. You must go back. But I will give you a practice. I'll give you a practice that will support you. And he taught them the metta practice, the practice of goodwill, of generating goodwill as an antidote to fear and to negativity. And so he taught them the practice and they practiced with him and they, they practiced all the way back to the forest. And the myth is that by the time they reached the forest again, they were radiating so much metta, so much goodwill and friendliness that the spirits were deeply touched. And so they actually invited them to come into the forest and practice and um, served them that whole period that they were there, provided food and looked after them. That's, that's the myth. And so, you know, we may or may not believe in spirits, but I think we can resonate with this story. You know, the things that come up within us as we take this step into the wilderness, into that which is beyond our comfort zone, And then the power of practice to support us in not only, yeah, not only holding our seat and surviving, but actually both being able to use practice, to, 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 to use that which is difficult or scary as a fuel for more depth, for more connection, 
that capacity that we have, we can use that. And so that which, has, that which is a hindrance, that which is difficult, actually becomes a support. Yeah, the spirits become a support. That cycle. That cycle. So that attitude of interest and of the intention to cultivate goodwill, steadiness, kindness towards ourselves is so key and I know we've been saying it so much so key in our practice it's such an essential ingredient in our practice for many of us the spirits that come to disturb are of course internal yeah there's things that come up voices images bad smells that come up internally, things that we don't like or we don't want. Or sometimes we didn't even realize we're there and suddenly, here it is. Something from the past, something, you know, that's suddenly showing itself. So can we cultivate, can we bring in this attitude of welcoming, of opening to that? Can we do that? And I know it's a big ask. Another way of saying it is, can we see the beauty? Can we see the nourishment? Can we see the potential? Even in these shadow sides of ourselves. Even in these dark sides of ourselves. Yesterday, when we spent some time alone at, um, it's called Pangras, the place with the giant trees, I was looking at the trees around me where I was sitting and so struck by just the diversity. You know, there was one tree that had more, more space than trunk. You know, huge, huge gaps, more space than trunk. And yet, there it was, you know, a big tree, alive, surviving. It didn't particularly, you know, I'm not very um, good at tree language, but it didn't particularly strike me that it, it was having difficulty with the fact that it looked different to most trees. And so many different shapes of trees, you know, some kind of growing sideways. You know, some looked like they should be dead, but they were still alive. So many sizes. And so can we, when we look at those trees, can we use that as a kind of foothold also to the way we look at ourselves. You know, we all have branches that are missing and gaping holes and bits that are burnt by life. We all have that. Can we just relax back into the body we have, not just the physical? but the body that has been shaped by the conditions of our lives. 
and is still alive, still full of aliveness and potential. I sometimes wonder when I'm on a yatra like this how I would feel if I was suddenly transported into, um, say, Nathan's dad's front room in my present unwashed and rather dirty condition. And I did have a shower today, but still, you know, if we're honest, wouldn't quite pass. And yet, you know, for me, it's something I, I really love about the Yatra. I love the fact that, you know, we're not, we're not as clean as we're used to being or that we'd even like to be. I, I love that. And that, you know, it's, we're all like that, you know. We're all like that. And what does that do to us? It's a bit like the trees. What does that do to us, that roughness? It's so easy, I can't look at myself, but it's so easy looking at you to see the beauty that shines through, you know, that has nothing to do with what we wear or how often we wash. Absolutely nothing to do with that. And something about the simplicity, something about the roughness, for me at least, it kind of brings it out, brings it out. If we go back to the moss and the hair, it's like going wild. (laughs) We're going wild. Going wild. Some of us have had moments when you kind of feel ourselves merging in. Merging in to the environment. Merging in to the sound of the river. Merging into the forest, to the rocks. both shedding the barriers, the boundaries of separation and at the same time so deeply alive and connected to our own uniqueness. And again, that interconnectedness between the difficult, the vulnerable, the fragile within us and in our experience and that sense of belonging or of, of, or of ease and contentment or of peace. The poet Wendell Berry, I don't have the poem with me, but he speaks very beautifully about the peace of wild things. And in this poem, he, he says, you know, at night when I cannot sleep because of my deep pain and concern for the future, for my children's future, I go and lie with the trees and the wild birds and I'm held by the peace of wild things. 
which is more profound and more tangible than anything we can try and create ourselves. So this time on the Yatra, things are surfacing, things are coming. That's why I kind of had this, it's a walk on the wild side, things are getting wild. There's more sensitivity. Someone was using the word rawness yesterday. Things are raw. There's more tenderness. When I was reflecting on it today, the phrase that came to my mind was, you know, we're dying, we're dying, we're dying, but we're dying into life. That's what's happening to us. We're dying into life. So just like we've been talking about, you know, this body being made up of elements made up of elements which are constantly flowing through. The same is true of our mental and emotional lives. You know, these are, they're, also, it is, they're also made up of different elements, different causes, different conditions. A flow through, a flow through. Deep Ecology founder and teacher, Joanna Macy, she says, I am a flow-through. I am a flow-through. And so one day, and I think was talking about it a lot, one day this body will be like the bones and the skulls that we see around and the decomposing trees. Yeah? One day this, this is what will happen. And it will break down and it will nourish. It will nourish other forms of life. It will nourish the earth itself. You know, just like this pile of shit we're sitting on right now. Breaking down, creating earth, nourishing. This will, this will happen to this also. And this is true not just on the physical level. It's true not just on the physical level of the body. The flow through our actions, our thoughts, our speech, they always have an impact. Always have an impact. We're alive. Therefore, we are a cause. And we impact. Knowing that, can we let ourselves die? Can we let ourselves die into life? Die to the sense of separateness? Die to the solid sense of self? that creates so much suffering for ourselves and for others? Can we die 
to becoming that constant giving birth again and again to the separate self. We have that possibility in every moment. So we can let go. We can let go. Someone's coming to join us. We can let go. And at the same time of letting go of this rebirth again and again into the separation, instead we can let ourselves be reborn, recreated, fresh. Every moment this is possible, fresh, raw, new, unknown, unfinished, imperfect, all these things. Just like a newborn. I was writing this, these notes I was remembering maybe last year or the year before, a cow giving birth just outside our hut in South India and watching that miracle. Actually, I only saw it on the video Nathan took because I was meditating at the time. It's quite an <laughs> quite a image. Busy meditating in my hut, missing the miracle outside the door. But seeing that miracle of the birth and that creature emerging, newborn, not even able to make its way out of its you know, little sack. And then within 15 minutes, standing up. Such a miracle. So can we die into life. Press back into the dissolving of separation and allow ourselves to be reborn into who we are, into our place in the family of all things, as Mary Oliver puts it. Taking our place in the family of all things. Of all things. So this isn't easy, yeah, it's not easy. And there's no way we're gonna get it right all the time. You know, just get tastes, moments. But it can be really helpful to remember, you know, when we feel at the edge of the comfort zone, whatever that is, you know, whether it's our, you know, five-star pit toilet, or sleeping on the ground, or being in a group, you know, whatever that edge is, can we remember when we're there at that edge? Remember, first of all, that we're not the only ones, that everyone here is on an edge of some sort. And can we remember the opportunity 
can we remember what else is here? Now, after the groups yesterday, it feels almost artificial to give a talk because each person who spoke, you know, shared such profound beauty and wisdom. That ability to hold, being at the edge with peace and contentment. Now, that's the miracle of being human. It's a miracle of being human that we're able to do that. People speaking about deep questions that are coming up and shaking the being, shaking the being, deep questions. And with that, the ability to hold the space for that shakiness, for that shakiness. So often being alive is like this river that we can hear. Yeah. It's wild. And it's got boulders as well as calm, quiet pools. It's got shallow and it's got deep. When we came, first came to, to this valley four years ago, the path was on the other side of the river. And this was the wild side. Therefore, we're walking on the wild side. This was the wild side. And I was remembering camping on the other side, further up the river, and Prakash and the team saying, if you really, you know, spend time looking at the other bank, high up, you might see bears, you might see blue sheep. And then the monsoon came, just a few months after we were here, and it was very heavy. And that path on the other side disappeared. It had been here since the times of the British. And it's still disappearing. There's still new landslides every year. And the whole valley changed. And so now, a new path has been built on the wild side. And as we could feel, and many of us were really shaken by it yesterday, the sense of the human presence suddenly so strong, such an impact, such an impact. So making space for how that meets us and how that feels, to a great degree it's an indication of how wild we've become and how sensitive that some concrete, a painted bench, tons of rubbish. We feel it, we feel it deeply through our skin in our heart. 
how do we respond? How do we respond? Can we cherish the wildness that is now uncovered in us? Uncovered. It's not created, it's uncovered. We are also wild creatures. I think quite a few of us this afternoon saw the horses that were on the other side. And what a touching sight that was. You could really see the wildness, the beauty, the dignity in these creatures. Can we cherish the wildness inside, in ourselves, and outside, in each other and in the world? And can we acknowledge the power that we have as humans? The power that we have. So can we practice with love and care. Can we walk the yatra with love and care? Can we act, can we choose with love and care? Even here, how we use the resources that we have You know, the filtered water, it's a resource. The hot water, it's a resource. Energy, time has gone into that. Making a fire. None of this is right or wrong, black or white, but just can we attend to that? Can we feel? Can we act with love and care? I encourage you to also spend time. It's cow time. (laughs) They're coming home and we're in their way. Really uh, so powerful to remember that we're the ones who don't belong here. So I encourage you to watch our beloved Indian team as they act, as they do things, as they serve. For me, it's an ongoing teaching to see the way they serve food, the way they look at what we need. To really watch them It's not about getting a salary. It's a deep devotion to the doing, the acting with care and with love. So can we absorb, take this time to absorb the sense of wildness, the sensitivity, the rawness, the openness, 
that is present here for us? Can we take time for that? So that it continues to inform our lives beyond the Atra, continues to inform our lives beyond this time and place. So as we continue to walk on the wild side, to walk on the wild side, remembering to stay open, receptive, welcoming, and kind. Remembering all of those kind of open up our pores so that we can absorb the nourishment absorb the support more deeply. So yeah, let's have a quiet moment together to bring things to a close. May we continue to uncover our wildness May we continue to die into life May we walk May we act, may we choose in ways that honor all of life, respect all of life, and love all of life.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.